The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. I know a young man. He's, the truth is, he's not so young anymore. Now he's a grown man. But I remember when he was a young man, a little younger than I was, smart, nice boy, nice family. By the time he got to high school, he was already, shall we say, taking the scenic route, going down the wrong path. Uh, he didn't spend as much time in the base medish as he was supposed to. And he started running with a wild crowd, doing things that he knew he shouldn't be doing. Eventually he got a hold of a car. Back in the day, there were no smartphones. There was none of that stuff. But the way to be civil of it was to get a car. He got, to, got a hold of a car, started going places he didn't belong, hanging out with people he certainly shouldn't have been in the presence of. And he was having a good time. And everybody tried to speak to him. Everybody tried to tell him things that he was not interested in paying any attention. And then one night he took his car and went to a place he shouldn't have been. And he had a lot more to drink than he should have had. And unfortunately, on the way home, he crashed his car. And his life was hanging in the balance. His life was hanging in the balance. He needed multiple surgeries. His rehabilitation took him a number of years. Physical therapy, occupational therapy, all kinds of, of things. You know, it was very hard very, very difficult, very, very, a lot of physical and emotional pain that he went through. And he had a lot of time to think, and he thought, and he resolved that he's going to turn over a new leaf. He's going to become a different person. And he taka did. He became a different person. And everybody was amazed. He took to the learning, went back to the base medrash, he gave up his friends, he gave up his old ways, and he became a different person. He became a good boy. He started becoming a Mitzuyan. And then one day, he missed davening. And then one day, he left Seder early. And then another day, he schmoozed his way through Seder. And slowly, but slowly, but surely, he started going back to his old ways. The true story. He started going back to his old ways. And eventually, he never became, he never went all the way back to where he was. But certainly, a lot of that earlier inspiration was gone. And he was now, once again, somewhat of a struggling young man had a conversation with him. And I asked him, I said, what, where did all that inspiration go? What happened to you? And we were young, so I didn't have anything, I didn't have anything much to offer him. We were just schmoozing. We were, you know, just, just shooting the breeze, as they say. And I asked him, I said, what happened to all that inspiration? And he looks at me and says, listen, I had it. I had clarity. I know I have to be a tzaddik. And I did. I became a tzaddik. And I was a tzaddik. I was a tzaddik for almost a year and a half. How long can I be a tzaddik for, Eloza? How long do you expect me to be a tzaddik? I'm just, come on, I'm not. I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a guy. I can't do it. I can't be a tzaddik. So he mostly slid back to his old ways. I once met a fellow. Once met a fellow. Interesting story how I met him, but a story for another day. I met a fellow, he's a Baal and he's a physician. I don't think I've ever said over this story. I, don't, I, I know the story not firsthand, but I heard it from the Baal Hamais. I heard it from the person himself. And this is the story. He was, he was, a, he was a doctor, he was a physician, and he was a Baal And we had a conversation, and I asked him, what got you interested in Yiddishkeit? So he says, I have a crazy story to tell you. Well, I like crazy stories, so tell it to me. So he tells me the story. He was working in the emergency room. He was not in any way whatsoever from. He was not observant. He knew nothing about it. He wasn't raised to be observant. His father was a European Jew, but, you know, so there was a certain Hamishkeit to him. 
but no observance whatsoever. He's working in the emergency room one night in, in the tri-state area, and and he they bring in a patient, an old Jewish man, white beard, pay is clearly a from man, and they bring him in, and by the time this guy got to him, there was nothing left to do for this old man who had never passed away. And he tested him, he saw he tried to see what he could do, there was nothing to do, and he pronounced the man dead. And he got to work for him, he got the paperwork. There's a lot of paperwork where they have to pronounce somebody dead. So they pronounce him dead. And all of a sudden, he tells me, all of a sudden, this fellow sits up. Sits up! Looks at him, calls him by his Jewish name that had not been used since his bar mitzvah, and says to him, why don't you keep Shabbos? And then the man falls back dead. This is a story he told me. I wasn't there. I don't know. Maybe he made it up. I have no idea. I know he's told the story over to many people. But this is a story that he told me. The man sat up. He had pronounced him dead. Sat up, looked at him, called him by his Hebrew name, and asked him why he's not keeping Shabbos, plopped back down. This is the way I remember this story. So I said to him, wow. <laughs> so that's how you started keeping Shabbos? He said, no. I said, no. I didn't keep Shabbos. So I went back to my merry old life. I wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't keeping Shabbos. He said it was about a year or two later, I met a rabbi, and that rabbi started to teach me, and he started to inspire me, and he taught me a lot of things, and that's ultimately what pushed me on the road to Frumkite. Amazing stories. Two incredible stories. Here we have a fellow who, whose life was hanging in the balance from his poor choices, and he took the inspiration, and it lasted him for a while, it lasted him a year and a half. But then it ultimately wouldn't stick. And here we have a fellow who saw Trias Amesim. Trias Amesim in front of his own eyes by his own admission. He said, I saw the guy sat up, called me my name and said, why don't you keep Shabbos? And I still didn't keep Shabbos. It was only later that he started to keep Shabbos. So what's Takarab Shah? What's going on? So, so I'll tell you an interesting story that I heard from B'Shlema Brevda, it's fairly famous, but I heard the story from him. B'Shlema Brevda itself said over a very fascinating story, he said one night, he was in Yushalayim, and he was in a rush to get somewhere, and he was running and running and running to get there, and all of a sudden he hopped that the place he was running to is a very, very steep set of steers that is going to be coming up pretty soon, pretty shortly, that he's about to get to. So he better stop running and figure out where are these steers or he's going to be in real trouble. So he stops, stops short, and starts looking around and it's very, very dark and he's looking and he's looking and he sees that the steers are literally right in front of his feet. They are right there. He was standing by that staircase. If he would have taken one step further, especially at the pace with which he was running, he would have killed himself. He would have stepped right over, and this is a very sharp, steep stone staircase. 20, 30 stairs. There's no way he would have survived it. And he hopped a terrible city. He hopped a tracel. He couldn't believe it. He was like, whoa! I mamas just saved my life. Mamas just saved my life. Akash just did a nice for me by putting this thought in my mind, by reminding me about the staircase. He saved my life. 
I have to become a different person. Akash Baruch saved my life. My life is saved now. I've got to become a different person. And that night he thought about it and he had such incredible inspiration. And he made up that the next day he's going to be a different person. He's not going to be the same person. He's going to be a much better and a much greater person. The next morning he wakes up and he's like, yeah, whatever. Okay, fine. I'll go down. I'll go to a little bit of a later minion. And, and well, he discovers by the next day that all that inspiration that he felt that night Somehow, he's not feeling it right now. Somehow, it's not there. And he doesn't know what to do. He was very bothered by it. Remember, Brevda was a very chash of a yid, very, very chash of a person. And he was very bothered by it. And he says, how could this be? He was close with the Chazanish. So he made up, he's going to Bnei Brak, and he's going to go talk to the Chazanish and ask him, what's Takah the Pshat? Why is it he had such, he had such a Hisairavis? He was so ready to become a different person. So ready to become a different person and suddenly it all goes out the window overnight? How could that be? Is he not a good person? Is he really not a sincere person? He went to the Chazan Ish and the Chazan Ish said to him, The Chazan Ish told him what happens is HaKadosh Baruch Hu creates one opposite the other. What does that mean? As much as there's a hisairis latayib, as much as there's a push and a drive for good in the world, there will be a push and a drive for ra, an equal push and drive for ra, an equal push and drive for evil in the world. Why? Because the world always has to remain in balance. Otherwise, if the world is not in balance, then there's no bechira, and if there's no bechira, then it's not possible for a person to really do what he has to do to serve a kadosh properly. So what happens is. A person, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, does a nace for you. And with that nace, you see HaKadosh Baruch Hu b'chush. You see him mamash with your own eyes. You see what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does and how he creates. So the Yetzirah works overtime. And the Yetzirah fights and fights and fights. And there's a new Yetzirah that's created to fight that Hisairus. So that you should not feel like, Oh, I'm going to now serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu in that new incredible way. Chaznish told him. Chaznish told him there's a, there's a new Yetzirah that's created to offset the Hisairus Latayv that you have. It was Erev Pesach. I was by my parents. Aleyem HaShalom. And Erev Pesach is a very, very busy time. And in the early years, I remember my father, Zechitzadik Levrach, my father would be very involved, shopping, helping, working. I mean, we didn't bring in any outside food, you know, any, um, any, any processed foods from outside, so everything had to be made from scratch. And my father would be right in there together with my mother helping her and that. In the later years, he was much, much less involved. But this was at a time that he was still well and he was still somewhat involved. And it was shocking to me. It was shocking. It was in, 2000, it was in 2002. Erev Pesach. Shocking to me. Erev Pesach. He comes up from davening, he eats something, grabs his Gemara, says to my mother, Henny, I'm going to base Medrash, I'll see you in a couple of hours. And my mother says, Sure, Michael, enjoy, learn well. And I was flabbergasted. That was so unlike my father to walk out. And maybe my mother needs your help, maybe she doesn't need your help, but ask her, talk to her. It was so unlike him not to, not to do that. He was ever the dignified gentleman, ever the considerate, thoughtful person. Walk out on my mother on an Arab Pesach like that? I never saw such a thing in my life. 
I couldn't believe it. And I said something to my mother. I said, Ma, what's Takam Shah? Why is that? And I noticed that I'd been there a few days already. And I noticed he's constantly running to the base of I said, Ma, what's Takam what's Shah? Why is Takam Shah? My father always ran to the base of Medrash. But what's like, like this, running out, like, like he's got to catch a train? So my mother looks at me and she says, Listen, I'll tell you something. She says, Ever since 9-11 happened, Tati feels that he saw, when we, what we saw happen was an event of such magnitude, we cannot just let it go by. We can't just pretend, Shalom Alay Nafshi, everything's fine, Bashir's Libi Elech, I'm going to go about my life. Yeah, it was terrible. Oh, those Arabs, they're awful. I'm telling you what they should have done. They shouldn't have done. They should go. They should decimate Iraq. They should go ruin Afghanistan. Not interested. That's not, that's not the response. Why did Hashem do this? Hashem did this because He wants us to be bigger and better. So I better be bigger and better. And she said, ever since then, Tati runs to the base medrash like I haven't seen in years and years. And he said, my father always spent his days learning. And she said, I see, it's like a fresh kite. And now we're talking about six months later, right? This happened before Rosh Hashanah. Erev Pesach, six months later, and he's running to the base medrash on an Erev Pesach. And my mother says, I just want him to go. He should go, and he knows that he has my full support. He should go. I'll figure it out, not to worry. I thought to myself, this is more than six months after 9-11. Well past the time that most people stopped to really think about unless they were traveling and were inconvenienced by the new TSA. And my father was still hanging on running to the base measures because this is what has to be. This is the responsible response. This is the way a person should respond to an event like this. Why do I love that story? I love that story because it says so much about who my father was. But the reason I love that story is because of another story that happened. What happened was like this. The day of 9-11, a day that I remember very, very clearly, a day that, that, that shall go down in infamy, has gone down in infamy. Everybody remembers where they were on that day. Everybody remembers that day, and I was no different. I remember being frozen in place, literally, from the news. I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't function. I went home, I sat there, I talked to my wife. And we just we, we we were all frozen. Nobody could do anything. Nobody could move. Nobody could be. Nobody nobody could function for days. You couldn't function. I mean, people were still Some people were still dying in the towers. People, the tragedies were unfolding with each passing minute. And we should just go on and pretend like everything's okay. Well, one of the side effects of nine eleven was that the. Um, the price of gas shot up that day because there were all kinds of rumors that now all the Gulf states are going to now stop sending gas to America. And also the price of gas went up crazy. Now it went up crazy. Today, it, it, it's, it's at prices that even then they didn't call them. Then it was like two and a half dollars. And we thought like, oh my gosh, that's nuts. Well, in any case, there were cars that were lining up outside gas stations getting gas. Nobody was sure what was going to happen. I have a close friend of mine. And he had an office right across the street from the coil. He did not go to the office that day. He couldn't. He couldn't function. He said, I can't be working when people are suffering. He sat, he dominated, he learned. That night, he had to respond to an email before the day was over. He had to. He had a big something hinging on it. And he had to go respond to the email, so he went to his office. He goes to the office. Office is in a big, big office building. And he goes in there. He's very depressed, very down. And he says, he sees over there that there's a custodian. One of the custodians is there. And she is cleaning and you got to say something. So he says to her, hi, how you doing? He says, tough day, isn't it? And she looks at him and she says, oh, man, you've seen them gas prices. You've seen them gas prices. See, it was a tough day. It was a very tough day for her. 
The price of gas just went up. Yes, it was a very tough day. No, forget about the fact that then everybody thought that about 10,000 people died. We didn't realize it was only, Ke'ilu, it's an only, only three and a half, four thousand people died, which is a massive tragedy, the largest one-day death toll in the United States in our history. A massive, massive tragedy. No, what was on her mind 12 hours later was the price of gas. That was a tragedy. That wasn't a tragedy that day. That wasn't a tragedy. Why is it that 12 hours later, that's all she can think about? And six months later, my father is running to the base medicine at Pesach. And the answer is very, very simple. Because she was a shifcha alayam. She wasn't a shifcha alayam. She was the shifcha in the binyan. She was a maidservant. She was a washerwoman. And she didn't know what to do with this information later. She wasn't ready. She wasn't prepared. She wasn't a person who constantly worked on herself. My father was a person who every single day of his life, he worked on himself. Every single day of his life, he was busy thinking about how I can be a better person. Well, well when you spend your days thinking how I can be a better person, and then you get a mammoth hysteris, a titanic-sized hysteris, then you bet you're going to know what to do with it. And six months later, you're still going to be functioning. And that's why I brought down that first story. You can have Trias HaMesim in front of your eyes. A man whom you just pronounced dead sits up and calls you by your name and says, keep Shabbos. And you won't listen. You know why? Because he had no preparation. It was later when he met a rabbi and the rabbi told him, okay, this is what we're going to do. Okay, then maybe he'll do it. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.